Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. We'll continue as we're working our way through the book of Genesis that we began earlier this year. As we've been studying Genesis verse by verse, uh, we're, we're studying the beginnings of God's creation and really the foundations of everything God wants us to know are found in this first book. Genesis is, it's the pillar upon which the rest of Scripture is built, it's the pillar upon which our faith is built, and we've been looking at so much of God's original intent and really the beginnings. Where did this come from and and where did this issue come from and and what was God's plan for this, for the family and for the home and, and creation and the purpose of life and why we exist and how we got where we're at. And this morning, we're going to see the beginnings of the longest-lasting, deadliest conflict in history, a conflict that is still raging to this day and will um, until Jesus Christ comes to conquer once and for all and to rule and to reign. And uh, something that that happened 4,000 years ago in our chapter here today is still impacting our world, not in some obscure way, literally on the news nearly every week, something that because of what took place here is still still a part of our lives and our world today. By way of review, and I know we have a few uh, folks that are here for the first time, and I want to say thank you for coming. Welcome. It's always an honor that folks would uh, choose to come to a church they've never been to, and whether you're from in town or out of town. I met some dear servants from Arizona there and others, and and whether you're in town, out of town, out of state, thank you for coming. If you're from in town, if it's your first time with us, we hope it won't be your last. I hope you'll continue to join us, and I'd love to be able to pray with you. We'd love to send you a small gift via email. There's a connection card right there in your pew. You can just fill out your email address and a prayer request. Our staff will pray for you this week, and I'd love to send you an e-book this week via email. Um, But if you're here for the first time, by way of review where we've been, of course, Genesis starts with creation, and then you have the fall of man, and, uh, and then God begins His redemption plan, but from the fall of man, everybody's doing that which is right in their own eyes, and God sends the flood, Noah's flood, and, and the earth is destroyed. And even in all of this, what we, call ju- what we would look at as judgment and destruction, God's grace and mercy and redemption and love is, is, is wo- woven throughout that entire story. Not too long, about a hundred years after the flood, we end up with people messing and everything up again. We have a tendency to do that, don't we? And, uh, and so there's the Tower of Babel, and God separates the languages and, and, uh, and nationalities, I guess, if you will. And we have that. And then we come to really the big character here, Abraham. And so what we saw was Abraham leaves his homeland, and he goes out. He's there with his nephew Lot. We looked at all of that. Lot moves into Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham, by whatever you remember, he went and and, and rescued Lot. And then last week, what we saw after he rescued Lot, God and Abraham have a conversation. My title, my message last week, if you were here, uh, was was Abram's Q&A with God. 
Abram asked three really big questions that we still struggle with today. He asked the question of fear, a question of disappointment, and a question of doubt in chapter 15, and God gave some beautiful answers that I think can be a help to us today. And if you'll recall, we ended the chapter with Abram and God, what they called in those days, cutting a covenant. You remember that last week? It was kind of weird, the end of chapter 15. They take a bunch of animals, they cut them in half, they put half of a, a ram over here, half of a ram over there, one bird on this side, one bird on this side. They have these animals, and you and I, when we make a promise, what we do is we go sign our name to something, right? A contract. And if I don't pay this debt back, Nora, good to see you. If I don't repay this debt um, back, then, then I will be like these, well, what we say is, if I don't pay this debt back, then you can come take my, my possession, come take my car, come take my house, whatever it might be. That was the, that's the consequence in our contracts. What they were saying, they would put these animals there, and then they would walk, both parties would walk in the middle of them. And it was a symbolic thing where they were saying, they called it cutting a covenant, they were saying, if I don't keep my word, let me be as these animals. If I don't, my, my word is my bond, if I don't keep my word here, let me die. Chapter 15 ends with God being the only party that cut the covenant because Abram didn't need to bring anything to the table. And by the way, it's still that way in God's promises to us. We don't bring anything to the table. God brings everything to the table. And, and, and God basically said, Abram, and because Abram was struggling, you promised me a child and I still don't have a child. You promised that you were going to make a great nation of me in chapter 12. And, and, and how? Eleazar, my, my chief of staff, is my heir. I don't have anybody to leave my stuff to. How are you going to make a great nation of me? And in chapter 15, God basically said, if I don't keep my promise to you, let me be as these animals. Well, we know that God cannot die and God cannot lie, so Abram had assurance that God is going to fulfill his promises. So now he's going to trust God, right? He just got this promise from God. So now Abram's faith is not going to waver, right? How about you? Do we have promises from God that he will do that which he's promised? And does our faith ever waver? Let's take a look and see. We find Abram, um, we would think that his faith at an all-time high, his trust in God is going to be strong, his life and leadership is going to reflect his belief in an almighty God that came and, 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 and a theophany there and came and cut that covenant. Let's see number one in chapter, verse 16 as we outline this book, let's, this chapter, let's look at number one, a painful reality. A painful reality. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him. What are the next two words there, church? In Genesis 16, verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him what? No children. This is Abram's, the wife of his youth. This is the love of his life. This is, this is who he's given his life. She's 75, he's 85. I don't know what your age is, but that's 75. That's not usually the most prime childbearing years. She's now 75, he's 85, and the painful reality was Sarai was barren. It had been 10 years of living in Canaan, 10 years since they had received the promise from God that they would have a child. And by the way, barren in a society that saw barrenness as being a curse from God. It made them less than. Because they couldn't bear children, they must be something wrong with them. It was, it was a very, very um, difficult load to carry, especially in that society. And so Sarai is, as you're going to see it here in a little bit, she's disappointed. 
She's hurt. I believe as you read in a few minutes as we read her, her words, I believe you can almost sense maybe a little anger, a little bitterness, a little accusation toward God. This is God's fault. And he promised us it's been 10 years. And so Sarai, Sarai, it says here, Sarai, Abram's wife, bear him no children. She's disappointed. She's hurt. She's going to make a major decision here in the next verse or so. And I want to just stop right here and say this to you. Be careful about making big decisions in times of pain and confusion. Be careful about, there's often when I'll meet with someone for counseling and they're looking to make a big decision, I'll say, give it some time. Give it some prayer. Seek some counsel. Because what happens in the heat of the moment, we often make big decisions that that we then later on come to regret. In the heat of the moment, in the heat of emotion, in the heat of pain, in the heat of disappointment, in the heat of hurt, in the heat of confusion, we make life-altering decisions, and then we look back and say, why did I do that? Be careful about making big decisions in times of pain and confusion. When you're doubting or discouraged, it's not a good time to make a big decision in your life, especially on your own. It's a good time to get into God's Word. It's a good time to spend some time in prayer. It's a good time to seek some counsel from some godly people in your life when you are confused and disoriented and discouraged and hurting and disappointed and disillusioned and maybe where you're at or what God's done in your life, slow down. But she's going to make a big decision here. Life doesn't always work out the way we expect or would like, and that was Sarai's reality. Pain comes into our lives, and sometimes it's of our own making, and other times it's just the circumstances of life. And so we see number two, a human solution. Look at the end of verse number one. Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children. And she had an handmaid, an Egyptian, probably a, a carryover from when Abram, his ill-fated journey into Egypt, where he probably shouldn't have gone, they had brought Hagar with them, an Egyptian whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abram, here's a human solution, behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. Do you hear it there? Now this is technically true, but when I read that, it feels a little bit, and I could be wrong, but it feels a little bit like, God's kind of done me wrong. God hasn't come through for me, so let's figure it out for him. That's the way I read it. And, and again, I, I could be wrong, but based on her spirit, based on all of the context of Scripture, I, I believe, Abram, the Lord's restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram, look at this, Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarah. Does that remind you of, of a husband making a really bad choice with his wife offering him something because she thinks she's missing out? She hearkened to the voice. We'll get there in a minute. Very, some, some similarities there that had, had worldwide repercussions on all of mankind. Verse number three, and Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. Sarai comes up with an idea. And you say, well, maybe that was okay in those days. By the way, it was legally. The laws of Hammurabi there, you go back and study in their context and in their culture, what, what Sarai is, is, is offering and what her solution to human minds was legal. If a woman could not bear a child, she could give, if they had a slave or a maid, she could give and, and the husband could marry that slave and have children and she was just an object. And by the way, Hagar had no choice in this matter. It, she, was, she was a piece of property. 
And it said here, Hagar is mine, I give her to you when she has a baby. Did you read it? That I may obtain a child of her. The way it would work in those days, this was legal, was that she would give this, this lady who had no options, who had no, no choice, very likely a virgin uh, slave there, a young lady out of Egypt, give her to Abraham, and whenever she has a kid, I get that kid. That's now my child, I raise him, she goes back to being that slave. That was legal in their context, but even back then, 4,000 years ago, that wasn't God's plan. God made it clear what his plan was in Genesis with Adam and Eve, and so shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Abram already had a wife, but because of her hurt, because of her pain, because of her painful reality, she comes up with a human solution. By the way, this one decision would cause worldwide conflict for thousands of years that exists to this day, has spilled oceans of blood in, in the form of the Israeli-Arab conflict through the generations. That's where this conflict it, today, the Israeli Arab conflict comes from chapter 16. Sarai's human solution. How did they get there? How did they get to this place where she's offering her slave as a piece of property to her husband so that she can take that child for her own? I would suggest to you, number one, it was Sarai's lack of faith. Sarai's lack of faith, she didn't trust God and his plan. And wives, may I just stop and say that your faith or lack thereof has a powerful influence and impact on your family? You can, you can do great things, spiritually speaking, for your family, or you can do great harm, spiritually speaking, for your family. Sarai's lack of faith had a huge impact on this family and really on their generations and on the world to this day, 4,000 years later. Her lack of faith, how else did we get here? I'm not going to let the men off the hook, ladies. We got here because of Abram's lack of leadership. Who was the one that God had just come to and given a promise to? Last chapter, Abram, I promise you, you're going to have a child. And again, technically speaking, he said a child of your own seed, which, which Ishmael was, Hagar's son. But, but, but Abram and Sarah knew this was not what they were supposed to do. This is a lack of faith on Sarah's part. There's no way I can have a child. God's not letting me, so I'm going to take matters into my own hands. And Abram didn't stand up to his wife, didn't say, no, God has promised us. We just need to rest and wait on his timing a little longer. In fact, he's completely silent and complicit here. The one who God had spoken to directly does not lead his family spiritually. And the parallel to Abram and Sarai's lapse of faith and disobedience to God and Adam and Eve's is stunning, and both had worldwide implications that persist to this day. In this story, Abram listened to his wife in verse 2, just as Adam listened to his wife. Sarai took Hagar as an object to give, that she thought would give her something that she thought God was withholding from her, just as Eve took the fruit as an object she thought God was withholding something from her. And, 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 and in both cases, the man, Abram and Adam, willingly and knowingly partook. And may I stop and say here, just as I said, ladies, you can have great power. Men, God has called us to be spiritual leaders in our marriages, in our homes, in our churches, and in our societies. Look at many churches today, and you look around at the membership, and it's very often a much higher percentage of women that are faithful to church than men. 
Look around at, at youth groups. Very often, it's a lot more t- teen girls that will go to youth group than teen guys. Look at young adult groups and college age groups. Often, it's a lot more ladies, young ladies than young men. Look at Bible colleges where people are training for ministry. Often, I was, I was recently at, at a, a Christian college campus, and I believe they said it's two or three to one women to men that are surrendering, giving their lives to go train to serve God in vocational ministry. There is a lack of leadership. And men, God has called us to be spiritual leaders. It's a burden on my heart, my own life, for my own boys, and for our church family. We were talking with our staff. I'm planning in 2023, I'm burdened that our church would equip and raise up another generation of godly spiritual leadership in our men and boys. And we're going to be doing some things monthly to gather together and try to equip and strengthen and build iron, sharpening iron, where there are men that are, are, are spiritual leaders. God's, God's call and plan is for men to lead spiritually. That doesn't mean ladies can't lead spiritually. I just said how powerful a lady's voice and influence and heart is. But men, it's time to step up as spiritual leaders. And, and I'll stop and just say it right here. That's not, we, we get fed so many narratives in popular culture and in popular society. That's not a misogynistic statement. That's a biblical statement. It's God's plan that men take the lead spiritually, but often women have to because men will not. And, and we're more worried about our hobbies and our sports and our this and our money and our careers and our finances, and we outsource the training, the spiritual leadership of our homes to our wives or to a youth group or to a Christian school. God called. Abram should have stood up to his wife and said, no, we're not doing that. That's not my wife. That's our maid. We're not doing it. You're my wife. God has promised. We believe God. He just came in the theophany. He cut the covenant. I'm not going to doubt God and take this matter into my own hands. I want you to see what happens when you make, when you follow human solutions, number three, we see an immediate regret. An immediate regret. Isn't that how sin is? He went in, verse four, he went in into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress, this is Hagar, was despised in her eyes. So Hagar immediately says, I can have a baby and she can't. I'm better than her. I'm not listening to that lady. I'm not. And, and, and there, was this, there was this love triangle, if you will. There was this jealousy. There was, and Sarai, verse 5, Sarai said unto Abram, my wrong be upon thee. She basically puts the blame on Abram. What I'm feeling and I'm hurting, I hope you get it. It's, it's, I hope God, you can hear it where she says, my wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid into thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between me and thee, Abram. It's your fault. You shouldn't have done this. This is ruining our marriage. Uh, let God deal with you. Let God judge between you and me who was right. You were wrong, Abram. Isn't that interesting? What had Abram done? Exactly what his wife had told him to do. And immediately, she regretted it. I say immediately. I, we don't know exactly how long, but, but very short period of time, a few weeks, maybe a month or two, when they found out she, was, she had conceived, she, she regretted it. She regretted that decision. Hagar now has a—she's going to come to regret it. We'll see that in a minute. Abram regrets it. Immediate regret. Look at uh, verse number six. But Abram said unto Sarah, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarai dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. Again, a lack of, of, of godly spiritual leadership. Even though he had done what he should not have in marrying Hagar and bring, making her his wife, now he no longer cares for her as a husband should a wife. I don't care about her. She's a piece of property. She's yours. Do whatever you want with her. Get rid of her. Treat her like trash. And that's what they did. They kick her out of the house. 
a, a, a pregnant young lady, homeless, penniless, nowhere to go, nowhere to live, and they just say, we don't care, get out of here. Abram again, showing a lack of leadership. Abram, a human solution. A, a, I'm sorry, Sarah, a human solution, doing those things. Sorry, I gotta move that tree, all right. And it's a good reminder, a life lived in the flesh will often lead to instant regret. Or, or, or short, very quick regret, if you will. It looks good, it feels good, it seems like it will be good, and sooner than we think, we're dealing with the repercussions and the fallout and the regret of sinful choices. Sin never makes good on its promises, never. It promises one thing, and it never gives what it promises long term. What does the Bible say? The blessing of the Lord, he maketh rich, and he addeth no sorrow with it. God's blessing, it's wonderful at the beginning, it's wonderful in the middle, and it's wonderful at the end. There's no shame, there's no regret, there's no condemnation. What does sin do? What do fleshly decisions do? When you take matters into your own hands and try to do God's work for Him, what happens? Sometimes when we make fleshly decisions, it's really good up front. It feels good up front. It seems good up front. This seemed like they had gotten the solution they wanted. They needed a kid. They wanted a kid. Abram, and I'm not trying, but, but it felt good, it, 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 it worked, their solution worked, and before they knew it, there's regret. Before they knew it, there's shame. Before they knew it, there's anger. Before they knew it, there's jealousy. Before they knew it, there's, there's casting, and there, there's division in their home, there's division in their marriage. Isn't that how sin is? What does the Bible say? Lust, when it's conceived, bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is what? When it is finished, bringeth forth what? Death. Now, here's the thing. The Bible says there is pleasure in sin for a, for a what? For a season. Oh, it's good up front. But here's what the Bible says. When it is finished, it brings forth death. Sin feels good, looks good up front. Our flesh, the world, the flesh, the devil, they give us what we want up front, and then we deal with the repercussions afterwards. God says, do right, wait on me, and it's going to be good. It won't be good just for a few months or a few years. It's going to be good for a lifetime. My blessing, you won't won't live with pain, you won't live with regret, you won't live with with why did I do that, or how did I hurt that person, or how was I hurt in that way, And, and you won't live with those things. The way of the transgressor is hard. Read Proverbs. And see how many times Solomon tells his son, son, don't make fleshly decisions. You will come to regret it. Here's a man that had 700 wives and 300 porcupines. That's, that's a lot. All right? This guy knew something about fleshly decisions. He knew something about pain, about the pain of sinful choices. And then lastly, we see in this, in this uh, chapter Not only do we see a painful reality, she was barren. A human solution, instead of trusting God, they took matters into their own hands because of Sarai's lack of faith and Abram's lack of leadership. It's what led them to these problems. And then we see see then an immediate regret. Number four, we see a promise kept. Verse number seven, so they kick out Hagar. Verse number seven, it's a beautiful verse. Would you read verse seven aloud with me? Genesis 16, verse number seven. Ready? Begin. And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way to Shur. And he said, what does he say? Hagar. He knows her name. Sarai's maid. By the way, he doesn't say Abram's wife there. God didn't recognize that marriage. Sarai's maid, not Abram's wife. Whence camest thou? 
and whither wilt thou go? Where are you coming from? Where are you going? She has now gone a long journey trying to get back to Egypt. You study the map where she was. She said, I flee from the face of my mistress, Sarah. It's a beautiful verse here. As I've told you, a lot of Genesis, it's the first time a lot of different things are mentioned. Last week we saw first for a few firsts. This week it's the first reference of an angel of the Lord. An angel's a messenger. It can mean different things based on the context throughout Scripture. Based on this context and the way that Hagar interacts with this messenger, the way that she acknowledges him as God, but as also different from God the Father, as you study it out, most scholars, most theologians would believe this is what we would call a Christophany. Last week we saw what we call a theophany, and, uh, where God, the burning bush, where the bush talked to Moses, that's a theophany. Um, a Christophany would be where Christ, we see it multiple times in the Old Testament, where Christ makes some sort of an appearance on earth in, in, in another form, and he's speaking. It may not be that, but most would believe what this is when it says the angel of the Lord, the first reference of this is very likely a Christophany, and we'll read the rest of the verses, but I love, I want to stop right here, I love what John Phillips said, a comment said about this verse. He said, it is remarkable to say the least that the first occurrence of the Jehovah angel, probably none other than the Lord Jesus himself, should not be to Abram, but to Hagar. Not to the heir of all the promises, but to an Egyptian fugitive. Not to a man, but to a woman. Not to a saint, but to a sinner. Not to a person of high rank, but to a slave. Not to one seeking God, but to one fleeing toward Egypt. The friend of the friendless, the loving second person of the Godhood, met a forlorn woman beside a fountain as centuries later, clothed in living human flesh, he met another woman at a wayside well in John 4. Do you remember that? It was a revelation of the grace of God. He met Hagar at a fountain. He met the woman at the well. He loved, I love this, he loved Hagar just as much as he loved Abram. He sought her and found her on the frontiers of Egypt as he had sought and found Abram in far off Ur. And with loving tenderness, don't you love this? He called her by name. He stops, he says, Hagar. You have to remember, she's in the wilderness. She's not, and Hagar. What are you doing here? And I love it. Emmanuel, God with us. The, the play that, that was last night, we'll have one more presentation of tonight, has some beautiful thoughts in there about the fact that God would come to lowly shepherds. I love that's the God that we serve. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter how you've been hurt, no matter how you've hurt, no matter how you're hurting right now, no matter where that is, God knows you. He loves you. He knows you by name. He wants to be a part of your life. He comes running after Hagar. The angel of the Lord appears to Hagar in the wilderness. She's been, we don't know exactly how long, but gone on, on some, some length of a journey. She's gone, and God shows up. What a beautiful, loving God that we have. A pregnant, rejected, homeless slave running for her life, trying to make it back to her homeland, where no future, by the way, awaited her, but the painful one of being an outcast of society, and she was met and loved by the same God that knows and loves you. Don't miss, when we study the Old Testament, don't miss the beauty of the love and mercy and grace and tenderness of our God, even in the really hard stories. And then let's finish up the chapter, verse number nine. So the angel of the Lord said unto her, return to thy mistress. How scary that is. Go back to the people that just kicked you out of their house and submit thyself under her hands. So she's given a really hard command. Now let's see, Sarai didn't trust God. Abram didn't trust God. Now he kind of did last week. We saw he believed on the Lord. The Lord accounted it for righteousness. But then in chapter 16, his faith wavers. 
Will this Egyptian slave that doesn't even know God, will she trust God? By faith, will she do the hard thing, or will she take matters into her own hands? Let's see, verse, verse 10, and the angel said of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, that it shall not be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and shalt bear a son, and shalt call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. This is a child of sin, but God still loves, and heard this, this, this maid, and, and he will be a wild man, his hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. And she called the name of the Lord, notice this, the name of the Lord that spake unto her, the thou God seest me, for she said, have I also here looked after him that seeth me? Wherefore the well was called Be'er Lahai Roy. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Bered, and Hagar bare Abram a son, and Abram called his son's name, which Hagar bare Ishmael. And Abram was fourscore and six years old when Hagar bare Ishmael to Abraham, to Abram. What we see here is Hagar, she goes, and, and she goes back. By faith, she says, I'll trust you. I'll, I'll obey your word. I'll do the hard thing. Not the thing that makes sense to me. Not the thing that feels good. Not the thing that looks good. Not the thing that I want to do. But I'll obey the, and God, you heard me. You heard my cry. You see me. We're going to see she's going to get kicked out again as we continue our series in the coming chapters. And, but God keeps his promise. In Genesis chapter number 12, verse number 2, what did God promise Abram? Going to make of your seed a great nation. So you know what he did? With Ishmael, the sons of Ishmael are what we would call the Arab people. And, and you talk to Muslims, they, Abraham is their father. And they, and by the way, he is. Now, they are not the children of promise, according to Scripture, but God said, I will, and then what did he say? He is going to be among his brethren, and it's going to be conflict. It's going to be fighting. And so you have the children of Ishmael, the Arabs, and the children of Isaac, the, the Jews. What has happened now for the last 4,000 years? Conflict. Why? Because one lady didn't trust God, and one man didn't stand up to do what he knew he should do. Be careful what you wish for in your times of fleshly decision-making. You may end up with consequences you never intended. This morning's message, I normally give the title at the beginning. I never gave you a title. It's simply this, flesh versus faith. And now I only have 45 more minutes and we'll be done. <laughs> That's normally what it is after I give you the title, right? Flesh versus faith. It's really a cautionary tale for all of us. What are we trusting in for our eternal life? What are you trusting in for your eternal life? Flesh or faith? God has a plan. God has spoken. God has told you how you can have your sins forgiven, heaven your home, eternity with Jesus. How are you going to, to get there? A painful reality is that you and I have sin. Anybody here, you've ever sinned? You've done something you shouldn't have done? You lied? You've done wrong? Okay, five or six of us, good. All right. The painful reality is, and guess what? Humans offer all kinds of solutions to get rid of that sin. Well, if you pray to Mary, well, if you, if you pray five times a day toward Mecca, well, if you do this, if you light incense to Buddha, well, if you're really good, if you're good at ways you're bad, if you give and you can pay off penances, and if you confess to the priest in the confession box, and we have all of these human solutions, we're trying to get to heaven in, in, by, by flesh. And, and you've heard me say it before, uh, religion says do. God says it's done. 
How are you going to get to heaven? You know, I've heard people say before, and I've asked them, do you know for sure if you died, if you'd go to heaven today? And there might be some sitting in this room that this is how you would answer it. I sure hope so. I'm doing the best that I can. I I want my good to outweigh my bad. And we think there's some cosmic scale where our good can outweigh our bad. And if if, if our good was 1% higher than our bad, then he lets us in. Here's the problem. Romans tells us very clearly, there is none righteous, no, not one, that, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. No matter how much good you do, our good can never outweigh our bad. The wages of sin is death. And so what will we trust in for our eternal life? Will it be flesh? I'm going to do the best I can, or it'll be faith. God has a plan. God has made a promise. Abram had given God a promise, but he didn't trust it. God has made a promise. If you'll, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know what I'm going to do? By faith, I'm going to trust God alone for my eternal life, flesh or faith. But not only what are you going to trust in for your eternal life, what are you and I going to trust for our daily lives? Having begun in the Spirit, Paul told the Galatians, are you now made perfect by the flesh? We got saved by faith, but now we want to live the Christian life by flesh. Well, I'm going to dress up. I'm going to look good. I'm going to wear the right thing. I'm going to say the right words. I'm going to, it's all in my own power. I'm going to pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I, look how strong of a Christian I am. God's not looking for strong Christians. God's looking for submissive, humble Christians that say, we cannot do it without you, but we're, we're not going to live this Christian life in the flesh. We're not going to make the decisions on what feels good. We're going to live our lives in faith. God, it's you through me that can do anything good. Every day, what did Paul say? Every day he woke up, he said, I die, what? Daily. Every day I have to mortify the flesh. I have to say, God, I need your strength today because my strength's not enough. I can't make it in my flesh today. I need by faith to walk. Today it's too hard. The decisions are too much. What's happening with that health need in my family is, is too difficult. The uncertainty of what decisions my adult children are making, they're too painful. My financial uh, uncertainties there and what's happening in the market, it's, it's too crazy. It's stressing me out. I can't sleep. God, I cannot live today in my flesh. I've got to rest in your faith. We see flesh versus faith. Hagar, they took Hagar, he is the son of the flesh. Isaac is the son of promise, the son of faith, according to Genesis, and we'll see that in a couple of weeks. What are we trusting in for our eternal life? What are we trusting in for our daily life? The flesh says, I've got this. Religion, Christianity, church, God, that's just a crutch. That's just a crutch for people that can't make it in this life on their own. You know what I say to that? I don't take that as an offense. I don't get defensive on that. You know what I say to that? A hundred percent. I need all the strength and help I can get. I'm fallen, frail humanity. I'm not going to always do what's right and and make the right decisions and have it all figured out. Yes, I need a God who has more strength than I do, and there is no shame in that. But the flesh says, I've got this. I've got to figure this out. Faith says, God's got this. I've got to rest in Him. And it's a daily choice you and I make, and our actions and our words, they prove which one we're living in. And the magnitude of the choice couldn't be greater. Whether you, you get saved by the flesh or the faith will determine if you spend eternity in heaven or hell, and whether you walk by the flesh of the faith will impact your life, your work, your marriage, your family, every aspect of your life. I want to give you a few statements and we're done. Now I'm only down to 40 more minutes, all right? Stick with me. It won't be 40 minutes for those that are visiting. I even closed my Bible. Didn't that help? (laughs) A life lived in the flesh leaves no room for God to work. 
A life lived in the flesh leaves no room for God to work. What happened with Abram and Hagar? God couldn't work because now Abram is spending his time with Hagar, not Sarai. It leaves no room for God to work. I'm going to figure this out. It's all on me. God gives us free will, and he will not force himself upon you. What did he do to Abram? He gave him a promise, and he said he waited. He waited over a decade to fulfill that promise. And he didn't say a whole lot more. And then when Abram got a little discouraged, he said, God, is it ever going to come? He cut a covenant with him. And then he was quiet again. And you know what? Sometimes faith is, what is faith? Believing without seeing. It's trusting God when he's quiet. It's trusting God when we can't, we don't know what he's doing and how and when and why and where. But a life lived in the flesh leaves no room for God to work. God will not force us himself upon us. He will instruct us. He will love us. He will convict us. But he will not force us. He gave Abram the promise and then allowed Abram to decide if he would rest in the promise and let God work or not. So we have a choice. Live our lives in the flesh according to our thoughts and desires and reap the consequences of that choice or live our lives in faith and reap the blessings of that choice. Paul said it this way, walk in the spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Flesh versus faith. Number two, a life lived in the flesh displeases God. What does the Bible say? God resists the proud. He pushes them away. What are the proud? I can do this. He gives grace to the humble. It's impossible. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. A life lived in the flesh displeases God. And I don't care if it's a life lived in the flesh doing a whole lot of good Christian work. If it's lived in the flesh, it displeases him. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. By the way, that's me preaching today. If I'm preaching in my flesh, if I'm preaching for my glory, if I'm preaching for my gain, this message displeases him. You can do good things for the wrong reasons and God is not pleased. A life lived in the flesh displeases God. Number three, a life lived in the flesh brings regret. It feels like you have comfort and security. I've got it all figured out, but the reality is you realize things happen in life. Something comes into your life, a phone call from a doctor, a worldwide pandemic, things happen, a a job loss, and all of a sudden you realize, I'm not as strong as I thought I was. Why didn't I build that relationship with God? Why did I, it's regret. Why did I go down that path? Number four, a life lived in the flesh short circuits God's plan for us. A life lived in the flesh brings bondage. I won't go there. I was going to turn there for the sake of time. I won't. If you want to jot it down in your notes, go back and read Galatians chapter number four. Galatians, a book, it's a letter to the churches at Galatia. Paul is writing to multiple churches, and he's addressing what we would call, this word's not found in the Bible, we call it legalism. People that are trying to get saved by their fleshly works and then are trying to somehow make themselves more valuable, their sanctification through the flesh. And in Genesis chapter, I'm sorry, Galatians chapter four, you know what story Paul takes them back to, to talk to them about how they're living their Christian life in the flesh? He takes them back to Abram and Hagar. He takes them back and he, he, he compares and contrasts Hagar and Sarai. And he says, Hagar is a picture of the flesh. Sarai, when she had Isaac, is a picture of faith. How are you living your Christian lives? A life lived in the flesh short circuits God's plan for us. But what about a life lived by faith? A life lived by faith allows God to work in and through us. He can do things we could have never done on our own. A life lived by faith brings salvation. By grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, not of the flesh, lest any man should boast. If I was good enough, if I could do enough works to get my own salvation, guess what I would do? I would be posting it all over social media. 
Guess what? I earned my way into heaven. You should be really impressed by me. Look at what I did. I did all this good, this good, this good. Look at me. And by the way, I can't even earn my way into heaven. I still do that. I still humble brag on social media sometimes. I don't want to, but it's part of all of us, right? Look at how good my, look how nice my, my car is. Look at what, and I'm not saying you can't rejoice in the victories or blessings of God, but if we're not careful, we do this and we're not even good enough to get to heaven. We, if I was good enough to get to heaven, I'd be boasting all over the place. And then I probably wouldn't be good enough to get to heaven, but he said, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's a gift, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's faith, not flesh. A life lived by faith pleases God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. A life lived by faith brings ultimate fulfillment. It doesn't mean you know what's happening. It doesn't mean you know how it's all going to work out. But it means you're resting in your relationship with the one that does. And faith makes a really good pillow. I can't figure it out. I don't know about the tomorrow, the songwriter said. I don't know what it might hold. I don't know what my future holds, but I know who holds my hand. Right? The difference of faith and the flesh. Flesh, am I going to be strong enough? Am I going to make enough money? Am I going to make enough good choices? How do I keep myself safe? Do I have enough security at my house? Okay, did I do a life lived by faith? God, I want to please you, and I give you my life. And I'm going to go according to your word even when it doesn't make sense. And we, even when I can't figure it out. And this chapter, it's a great reminder of flesh versus faith. A life lived by faith brings ultimate fulfillment. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Sometimes we trust God for eternal life, but then we take the reins from him for our daily lives. This week, will you live by the flesh or by faith? Will you trust your plan or his plan? Will you follow his wisdom or your wisdom? Will you believe his word or the word of a friend or expert here on earth? What does a life lived by faith look like? What would it have looked like in Abram's life? Slow down. What would it look like in Sarai's life? Slow down. Don't make that big decision. Wait. Rest in God. But I want a baby. I understand. God promised you to have one. Wait. Slow down, rest in him, believe his word, talk to him, trust his promises, obey his revealed will, and then let him work all things together for good in his time, not yours. And if you're not saved here this morning, may I challenge you, accept him by faith. Stop trusting in your good works. And well, I'll ask people sometimes, how are you, do you know for sure if you were to die, you'd go to heaven? Yes, I do. How do you know that? Well, I was baptized. Well, the Bible doesn't say anything about baptism taking us to heaven. Well, I, I grew up in church, and I'm glad for that. Well, my dad was a pastor. All of those are good things, but they're not faith in Christ alone for salvation. And it's faith in Christ alone that saves a person. No work of the flesh. Your dad being a pastor doesn't get you any closer to heaven. I'm glad for his good works, and God will reward him and maybe give him the crown of righteousness at that judgment day. There are blessings to your dad being a pastor, maybe, but there is no spiritual efficacy of getting you closer to heaven because of a decision your parents made. Well, I give money. I'm involved. I sing in the choir. All of those are good, but are you trusting Christ alone? What are you trusting in for your eternal life, faith or flesh? And what are you trusting in for your daily life? We Christians, like Abram and Sarah, chapter 15, salvation by faith. He believed God, accounted to him for righteousness. Chapter 16, let me live my life in the flesh. Don't we do the same thing? Salvation by faith. God, thank you for saving me. I place my faith in you alone. The rest of my life, I'll let you know if I need you. 
No, it's not faith at salvation and flesh the rest of the way. Again, that's what we call legalism. It's faith at salvation and faith today and faith tomorrow and faith next week and faith when we get married and faith when we have kids and faith when we have grandkids and faith in the hospital and faith when there is no hospital and faith when, when, when the portfolio is booming and faith when the portfolio is non-existent and faith and faith and faith and it's faith. And when you start living in the flesh, before you know it, you're going to make some decisions you're going to come to regret. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.